بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله حمدا كثيرا طيبا مباركا فيه مباركا عليه كما يحب ربنا ويرضى جل جلاله وعم نواله والصلاة والسلام على سيد الحبيب المصطفى صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد So dear brothers, sisters, dear friends we are Moving on to wisdom number 255 from the Book of Wisdoms, which is page 202 of our great Shaykh Ibn Atha'illah al-Iskandari, rahimahullah. So this is what he says in this uh, wisdom. Ashhadaka min qabli an yastashhidak. Ashhadak min qabli an yastashhidak. Fanataqat bi ilahiyyatihi al-zawahir. وَتَحَقَّقَتْ بِأَحَدِيَّتِهِ الْقُلُوبُ وَالسَّرَائِرِ This is a historical wisdom reminding us of something uh, very historical and then giving us a lesson based on that. He says, Allah made you witness before He asked you to give witness. He made you a witness before He told you to testify and give witness. So Allah has not told us to give witness to something that we did not actually witness. You can only say that a crime was committed or that somebody who owed another person uh, an amount of funds, that he has paid him. You cannot give witness unless you've seen it. Unless the reality has taken place, you've observed it and you were a witness to it, then you can give witness. Otherwise, it'd be false witness. So what is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala telling us to give witness to? That He has already made us witness to. That's what He's saying. He made you a witness before He asked you to give witness. Thus, the outer faculties, they speak of His divinity, while the heart and the innermost consciousness have realized His unity and His oneness. What that means is, uh, briefly, our limbs, our expressions, our words, when we make our salat, when we say subhanallah, alhamdulillah, when we glorify Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when we magnify Him, when we speak about Him, when we exalt Him, when we talk about His greatness, when we invoke Him, oh Allah, oh Allah, I need your help. All of that is just confirming, that is giving witness to something that our inside has already been witness to. So what is that? What has our inside been witness to, if anybody can remember? What is that? So that's what is being discussed here. That the human being is a very complex being. The human being is not just flesh and blood. Most of the time in the world, this is what we reduce human beings to, just flesh and blood. As long as the heart is working well, a person is healthy. That's what we consider. His heart is good, and he doesn't have too much sugar in his body doesn't have too much of a pressure problem, must be a healthy body. That's generally what we refer to. However, what is very important for us in relationship to the hereafter, because everything that we've just spoken about is relationship to this world. As long as the heart continues to pump in a healthy fashion, as long as the limbs are fine, as long as our body is sound, then we stay in this world. As soon as that soul is pulled out, as soon as the body stops functioning, as, long, as soon as the heart stops, stops pumping, then that means the world ends. But 
For the majority of people, for many, many people, that's the end of life. That is the end of existence. It is the end of this life for sure, but it's the end of existence. They don't expect anything beyond that. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us a spiritual aspect, a spiritual heart, which has much more connection with the world to come, which is an infinite world, which we all know about and we believe in. So that's what he's saying now, is that whatever we do outside, there's a soul within us. That soul is what will actually continue even after our time in this world. Uh, right now, because the soul is connected to our body, that's why we live. That's why we move around and we're active and uh, we are beings. We are uh, human beings at this point. When this soul will depart, when this soul will be depart, subhanAllah, somebody recently who, he, he's, he's a doctor. And he was with a patient in the room and the patient uh, wasn't able to have any visitors for whatever reason. So mashallah, he was there and he's a Muslim doctor. He's actually a Maulana as well. He's actually studied. So he said, I was there trying to give him his final rights. Subhanallah, subhanallah. And he said that before the person breathed his last as such, before the person died, he said, I literally felt a gush of air or wind. Dare I say wind or a gush of air. And he was asking me, what is that? What do you think that is? So just before the, the deceased, you know, became deceased, he felt a gush of air. Now, I don't know if he's thinking things or it was the angel of death and he actually physically felt something tangible like that or it was just a shiver or whatever the case is. But he felt it before the person actually breathed his last. It's a very interesting experience. I don't know if anybody else has had any of these kind of experiences. But that's the soul departing. So the soul departs from the feet moves up and the feet become cold etc and then eventually it comes out and then it goes up and the soul then remains alive until the day of judgment the body then becomes decomposed most likely if it's put into the ground except for shuhada and anbiya and prophets and so on but the body is uh, not really very important afterwards except for prophets and as a point of honor for prophets and for the martyrs their body remains intact but otherwise for the rest of us May Allah make us among the shuhada at least. And we can't be prophets, but maybe you know, we can be shuhada in some way or the other. So anyway, so the point now is that the soul departs. The soul will go in. I'm not going to talk about the journey of the soul. We have uh, lectures on that which you can consult later. But the point is that the soul is very, very important. So the human being has... When the soul, uh, when the soul is created, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created everybody's soul from the time of Adam alayhi salam. And the souls have been existing. They just become attached to our bodies uh, at, at a certain period in the womb, when the body is being formed about 120 days or just before that or around that time. The soul, our soul, which has always been there, the ruh, becomes associated with this and now we become this living being. We have a, uh, the soul was there, but now we actually have a body. And eventually it goes through the rest of the nine months and then it comes out and we are human beings now. Now, when the soul is uh, initially in the human being, in the stomach of the mother, and when it first comes out and when we, had ch we are children, uh, the soul is very innocent. The, the human is very innocent. The, home, the, the, the baby, the infant is a very innocent, inerrant, infallible, 
that's why if children die, they go to paradise, according to our opinion, uh, definitely for, you know, for believers uh, and even for non-Muslims, uh, uh, children who die, we, we're told that they go, on, they go into paradise, inshallah. That's because the ruh is uncorrupted, unblemished, it's perfect still. It has purity, it's very clean and polished and pure. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then allows it to remain in this world, it then starts to learn things. The human starts to learn things. It becomes perceptive. It begins to understand things, comprehend things, uh, to know things, right and wrong, good and bad, beneficial, harmful. You start learning these things. This is what's happening with our children, right? They, every year, every month, every day, you know, there's something new and we get excited. Mashallah, today they started walking, they learned how to walk. Today they learned Surah Al-Fatiha. Today they, the first words they learned were Allah, you know. People get excited about these things and these are all milestones of a human's life where everybody gets excited about these things. So now, when the soul was still in that abode after Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created it, Right? The souls are not eternal. We're not eternal beings. They were created by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at one moment. At that time, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when they were still in that pure state, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala manifested himself to them. Now, they had nothing else to go by. They had been created by Allah. They recognized the creator state straight away. As Allah mentions in the Quran, Surah Al-A'raf, verse 172, Allah said to them, Aren't I your Lord? They said, of course, bala, of course, like, why not? Not like today when people have doubts about God. That was the time when there's innocence. Everybody, everybody, including those who are atheists today, who deny God. This is what they went through. So they said, yes, you are our Lord. And Lord here means you're the one who created us. You're the one who's allowing us to prosper, allowing us to grow, allowing us to develop. That's what you call Rabb. That's what the Lord does. La ilaha illallah. Now, after Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has that same soul come into the body and then allows it to come into this world and we grow up, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asks us, reminds us through the Quran and the Prophets, that now you need to bear witness that God is God. God is the Lord. God is the Rabb. God is your creator, sustainer, and He is your object of worship. He is who you said, as your soul said, which is the main aspect of ours. Your soul said many, many, many centuries or whatever it was ago, right? That uh, it was something you had borne witness to. Can you see now what he's saying? Allah is only making you witness to something that you had witnessed. Allah is now only making you bear witness and say, Ashhadu Allah ilaha illallah, because you'd actually seen it before. Nothing new. You actually knew about it. So when you were in still the abode of souls before you'd come into this world, that's when you'd realize who Allah is, you'd recognize Him, you'd acclaimed, you'd confess that, and you'd agreed to that. At that time, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't tell you to then, you know, say anything further. He just asked, aren't I your Lord? Just confirm that. And yes, we did. Now, when we come into this world and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asks us to do it, some people, mashallah, they say, yes, you are our Lord. Rabbi Allah, Rabbi Allah. And others say, no, who is God? Is there really a God? It could be a God. Right, there possibly is a God. We're not sure, we need to keep searching, which is one of the strangest answers. 
Like, you know, the world, humans have been here for, for millennia, right? If there was a God, he would have been recognized by now. And if you think that there's a possibility, otherwise you'd just been... You see, I believe that those who um, are agnostics, those who question it, who believe there's a possibility but are not willing to agree with it, if they really believe God did not exist, they wouldn't reject it. But the fact that they even allow the possibility that it could be, then it's just lazy attitude to not look further and say, yes, he's there. Because, I mean, we've had millennia of people and we've had billions of people. There's billions of people in the world today. Right? So if anybody was going to research it, it would have been done by now. You know, what new experiments are you going to do? What new study are you going to undertake? Right? You know? What laboratory are you going to create in which you're going to do these studies to figure out if God really exists or not? I mean, there's enough evidence out there already if you want. Because, I mean, if you're not an atheist, then I think you should be able to accept it. But the problem is that when you accept God, then you get responsibilities. Right? Accepting God is not easy. In the sense that it's a beautiful idea, but then there are rigors. And if the soul has been overcome and overtaken by... Uh, desires and uh, by, by, by weaknesses and just wanting to do as you wish, then this is what the trouble is. This is the difficulty. This is the difficulty. We just ask Allah for goodness everywhere. That's what we ask Allah for. We ask Allah for goodness everywhere and virtue and goodness for people so that people, you know, suffer less and people have peace. That's what we really want, inshaAllah. So now, what happens with, uh, with believers is that whatever they had witnessed, they're willing to say that with their tongue, La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah. Ashadu an la ilaha illallah. So you know, whenever we say, the next time you say, Ashadu an la ilaha illallah and la ilaha illallah, don't just think it's just an expression we're doing. That's a very, very important formula. The benefit that comes from there, right? The spiritual benefit, when we say it with some... Uh, real profound understanding because what we're doing is we're confirming we're doing exactly what Allah our creator wants from us our creator he created us he made us witness that he is our Lord and now when we're at that point where we can actually start understanding things and making decisions for ourselves we continue to say he's our Lord so he is very very happy with us Every time you say Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, we are reaffirming that point. That's a massive deal. Saying la ilaha illallah is not like some kind of simple thing you can do. Saying la ilaha illallah is so valuable. If Allah didn't, you know, if that was not written for us to be said or we had some other ideas, we would ne- not be able to say it. I mean, the kalima la ilaha illallah is so powerful that you die with that on your lips and mashallah, that's a Allahu Akbar give us that. May Allah grant us that. That's a, you know, it's not easy. Somebody might say, I'll show people, I'm going to die with la ilaha illallah, but, you know, I'm not really a believer. I doubt you'll ever be able to say that. That's a matter of tawfiq. Because those last moments of life, uh, you know, they, they only, they, they generally bring out what the lifelong goal and ambition and belief and sentiments have been. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make our sentiments strong for the right reason, for that which is going to benefit us. As I said, our body is related to this world. Our death is written, right? Whether that's going to be at the age of 50 or 70 or 72 or 90 or whatever it is. If we do exercise with our body and we stay healthy, we eat the right foods, then we'll just have a better life, a quality of life, hopefully. We're still going to die at that 70 age if that's the age that's written for us. But if we're unhealthy, 
we're still gonna, people are still going to pull to 70, but the last 10, 15 years are going to be on a bed. You know, where people are going to have to look after you. There's going to be nurses around you all the time. May Allah protect us from that and not make us depend on anybody. So quality of life of this world, you know, comes from being healthy and feeding the physical body. But the quality of the other life is also important. That's a huge segment of our belief. That comes from the health of our heart. Not the cardiac heart, but the spiritual heart. The cardiac heart is going to benefit us for this world. But it's the spiritual heart, which is by remembering Allah, by keeping good thoughts in there, not having, not, not essentially having the, the traits of animals in our heart, so that on the day of judgment, you know, we be like dogs or cats or, or pigs or whatever it may be. Right? To have the pure thoughts as far as possible. Our surroundings give us weird thoughts sometimes. Who we live with, the family that we've been in. Sometimes there's corrupt people around us. We might have somebody in our family who's very vulgar, very negative, right? They're swearing all the time, or they're talking negative, they're, they're backbiting all the time. I mean, this is a reality. What does that mean? That we become like that as well? It's difficult, especially if you have people that you deal with every day, right? Especially if they're family who are talking negative. We have to do our best to at least avoid ourselves if we can't change the situation. Our ultimate goal should be that we become a positive, uh, a positive change for the people around us. This is, I think this is one of the biggest struggles that a lot of people go through. It's the very people that they interact with on a day-to-day -day basis that will not let them get out, will not let them just be, uh, you know, worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Sometimes they're actually against uh, any kind of Islamic practice or any kind of, you can say, adherence or righteousness or piety or whatever because they sometimes feel uh, guilty or they feel like uh, if you become practicing, you become extremists, right? You're becoming extremists by doing that and prevent is going to be after you if you're going to be, you know, if, if you start uh, becoming practicing. We, we hear all these weird stories. We hear all these people have these weird, weird ideas. One person in Hajj who was with us, he's about 31 years old, 30, 30, if I remember correctly. So, Sheikh, I've got a question. I thought, okay, it's a Hajj question because that's what people ask you then. Well, actually, they ask you a few other things sometimes. They ask you about their life and that as well. But I generally thought it was a Hajj question. It was actually about Hajj. He said, Is it okay for me to be in Hajj? So I said, You're already here. I mean, he was in the hotel. I remember we're in the hotel. He's already in Hajj. He's paid for the package. Right? So I thought maybe, maybe he's got a big debt or maybe he's haram money. Right? It's all gambling money or some drug money and now he's like, am I okay to be in Hajj? You know? I said like, what do you mean? He said, well, my family and everybody, they're telling me I'm too young for Hajj. Right? People from that community will know what, you know, what I'm speaking about. There's, there's a culture in the world, there may be more than one, they believe that you, can only go, you should only go for Hajj after you retire. After you've done all of, all of your guna, after you've done all of your sins and whatever, then after that you go there and toba toba kalle, and then after that you try to be haji sab and decent, right? I mean, subhanallah, it's like, man, you are in hajj, thank Allah you're in hajj, you're absolutely in hajj, and it's absolutely valid, as long as you've got halal money, you're in hajj, alhamdulillah. That's where you come and change. Why is this conundrum in your mind? Why is he doubtful of why he's in Hajj? 
that is it right for him to be in Hajj? That's not the Islamic way to do things. That's why knowledge is very, very important to correct the heart, to understand the life, this life, the other life. Just like we need to have knowledge about uh, diet, right? Um, the, uh, you go to some other countries, they have absolutely no idea about that. Actually, in America, it's only now in England that people actually know uh, about carbs and, uh, in the last 10 years or so. I remember when I was in America, we knew about it because everybody in America knows about it. <laughs> Very few people actually act on it. There's a lot of obese people in America compared to the UK. Like, and and, and uh, it's, it's really weird. I came back to England, nobody actually has an idea. In America, if you go to somebody's house and you say, I'm on a diet, they'll actually respect that for the most part. They'll say, okay, fine, fine. Don't eat that then. Here, they get offended. It's like, no, forget your diet today. Today, there's no diet. You can, you know, they'll encourage you to eat. They, they don't care about diets here. Yeah? But there is a, an awakening, right? But it should be a true awakening about a diet. It shouldn't just be for the sake of it, as a fad, right? So, I mean, our foods are so much more sophisticated today in terms of the various different makeups of the chemicals and all of that kind of compared to what it used to be before. But are they really healthier? Or is it just our lifestyle that's become more unhealthy? Whatever the case is. But just the way that you need to know about that. To keep healthy, you need to know what's in a carb and what's in a, you know, what's protein and, you know, what's fat and what is uh, the glycemic index and uh, high, you know, uh, glycemic uh, food and all the rest of it. We also need to know about the hereafter of what's going to get us the potential to get somewhere. The avoidance of sins. What are sins? Okay, some big sins like uh, fornication that's known. But a lot of people feel flirting is not such a big sin. Casually looking at something here and there is not too big of a sin. It's okay. Right? That needs to be known and then that needs to be understood. Uh, it's because the culture is like that. Because that's what everybody around them is doing. Right? That it's okay to shake hands with your cousin's sister. You know, for some people that's okay. If you're married to her, it's fine. But no, you know. Because that's in my culture. People say like, this is what's happening. You know, we shake hands. In some, in some cultures, they even kiss one another. Because in French culture, it's a bit like that. Francais cultures. Very. Um, so, are we allowed to do that? No. Uh, what do I do now? I know we're not allowed to do that, but they're going to feel bad. There's a lot of turmoil in a lot of people. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy. But the first stage is to know what's right and what's wrong. Then at least if we know, we can start feeling that there's a sense of guilt or there's a sense of we want to make correction because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala open, has opened the door of tawbah and repentance. That's the beautiful part of it. That people can change as long as we make an effort. As long as we're trying to change, even if we indulge once in a while. We, I mean, I'm saying all of this because I actually get questions about, uh, about sin. There's some, uh, somebody said, how can your... How can you have a sincere tawbah, sincere repentance, if you've repeated the sin afterwards? So if I re repented, sincerely repented from a sin uh, last week, and I committed again, how is that sincere? So what does that mean now? That means that if it's not sincere, that means I can't make a sincere tawbah. Like that just shaitani idea that that means you're never going to be able to be right because maybe wait for a month or two months and then make the tawbah, you know, after you've, you know. So it's quite a bit of a conundrum. So what I explained is that the conditions for a sincere tawbah that will be accepted is that 
you promise never to do it again. You make a vow, to ne meaning you uh, pledge never to do it again. I'm not going to do it. You feel bad that you've done it already and remorseful. I wish I didn't do it. I feel really bad that I have done it. And I'm never going to do it again. And then ask Allah for forgiveness. That's the conditions of tawbah. Now we're trying never to do it again. But if we do fail again, the last week when I made the tawbah, inshallah my sins had been forgiven until then. But now I did it again, I'm only going to be sinful for this part, not for that part. That's why we should make tawbah. As much as possible, as sincerely as possible. That's where we're going to learn sincerity. You're going to have to learn sincerity on the job. Because if we're going to just wait until we're sincere, what does that even mean? Right? Because to stop, we want Allah's help. So we're going to stop. Unless you start fulfilling some of the I'm never going to do this again. So let me not do it again. But then what's wrong with answering, asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgiveness? The hadith and what the Prophet has explained to us, Allah is willing to forgive you 70 times a day. How do you forgive 70 times a day? What, what kind of a dua is that? Okay, sounds a bit like an exaggeration, but reality, it is a reality as well, that Allah can forgive us 70 times a day. He, that, he is tawab. His name shows us. Tawab means the one who frequently and consistently is able to forgive and wants to forgive. Allah loves to forgive. When we realize that, of course, if, we, if I'm, oh Allah forgive me, but I actually want to do it again. I'm planning it and I'm saying, oh Allah forgive me, just words, that's a problem. That's false, that's not right. So education is very important, but the focus that this hereafter is there and I need to prepare my heart for it just like I prepare for this world. For this world, I mean, forget, we, I've, I've been speaking about staying healthy. But we do a lot of other things in this world. We adorn ourselves in this world. We work and then we go and buy that new shirt. We go and buy that new ring, that new watch, that new jacket, right? The new car. This is all adornment of the world. We need to make similar kind of ideas and preparation for the hereafter. I'm going to give sadaqah there. I'm going to give sadaqah to orphans because I know that has a huge reward. That gives a really good job. That makes a big impact. Right? If I wear a suit to, to the interview, it's going to make a big impact. You know, it's going to make a big impact. If I, uh, if I wear a suit that's, uh, you know, a Gucci suit, that's going to make an even, you know, bigger impact. You know, we're very refined and we think about these things. If I drive up to my clients, I, I met one brother and he's driving a really nice Jaguar. And I, that was, I sat in a Jaguar after a very long time. And it's got, you know, they're a bit different the way they make them. Uh, that even the vents close when you shut the car down. I don't know why. Right? So I asked him about it. And then he was like, you know what? I didn't really want to buy this car because my dad, they're a very wealthy family, but he says that my dad's policy is that it, uh, the only way people can actually tell you that, tell that you're wealthy is by your car that you drive. Generally, unless you've got a big mansion, you show off with it. But I mean, you don't walk around with your house. So it's only by your house. So he wants us to keep subdued. But the reason I had to buy this, I get clients and we have to show them. Otherwise, they don't take you seriously. About the hereafter like this. Donated here, I've donated here, I've donated here, I've looked after these orphans, I've spent money here, I've sent here, I've got a bit in the Palestine, in a Palestine account, I've got some in the Rohingya account, I've got some in you know, the different accounts in the world, inshallah, that's what I want. This is all investment. So we really have to start thinking in a more savvy way about the hereafter, and may Allah make it easy. I mean, there's a, mashallah, one of the ulama, he just sent me a message uh, just a few days ago. 
if I've done anything wrong to you, please forgive me. He's not done anything wrong to me. But I know the Shaykh, he's always trying to be pure, to be prepared for the hereafter. Always trying to do as many good deeds as possible with absolute sincerity. May Allah make it easy for us to allow us to actually prepare just like we, we adorn ourselves. We don't even prepare for this world. We actually adorn. We're in it. We're doing it. And may Allah give us you know, the blessings of it. Allah has given us so much more than so many others in this world. May Allah also give us more than so many others in the hereafter. What's the point if we have so much in this world but not enough in the hereafter? Subhanallah. Subhanallah. Never, never get emotionally attached to something. Especially before you buy something. If you're going to buy a car and you found a car that really fits the bill, but you haven't got it yet, or you found a house and you know, house buying takes a while, you don't just find a house and you buy it the next day, you, know, you have to go through lawyers and you have to do checks and uh, searches and all of that kind of stuff. If you get emotionally attached, same thing with uh, if you're trying to get married to someone. If you get emotionally attached, wow, you know, there's a, there's a family I know, they're trying to buy a house. So the kids and the wife are like, okay, that's going to be my room. This is what I'm going to do to the kid. This is the way I'm going to change it. So somebody said to them, look, you're not, you don't even have it yet. You're getting emotionally attached. If it falls through, you're going to feel really upset. Don't plan any of this stuff. It's going to be your house afterwards. All do all the planning afterwards. Just a simple thing of life. In fact, don't even become emotionally attached afterwards. Even after you buy it. It might be diff more difficult to say that. But what I'm trying to say is that don't, definitely don't become too attached to something before you. You'll never be upset then. If you don't get it, we'll find something else, inshallah. Or a job, you know, you found a job, you really want it, you're going to go for an interview, right? And you're like, you've made the next five, ten years uh, of your dream, right? And your plans based on it, and then you don't get the job. And then we get the calls, oh, had I said this, what, why did he say no? Why did he say no? I was like, come on, it's done, finish. You should not have been involved too much in the beginning. Same thing with the dunya. Just don't get too involved. It's a very difficult one. Only that's a difficult one to not get too involved. And then to be able to die and not feel like you're missing anything. When you travel, I mean, is it easy to travel? Are you able to just leave everything and just go with the bare minimum? Or do you take like five suitcases? How are we going to go from this world? These are all simple, simple ways to just reflect over these things. It's not easy, a lot of these things are not easy. But if we never even think about it, that it's a challenge that we must think about and we must try to get somewhere with. That's why I really love this book. He really opens up the whole relationship between the servant, the slave, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and how to do it. So when we say, La ilaha illallah, when we do any good deeds, all we're doing is we're just confirming what we said yes to before. And Allah loves that. Our life is in pure unity. Our life is consistent. Our existence is consistent with what we said, what we witnessed, and what we're saying now. That is what Allah wants from us because that's what Allah created us for. And if you can maintain that, may Allah allow us to maintain that until the end. So let our apparent state say what is in our internal state and what our heart has already borne witness to. So this is what Sheikh Abdullah Gangohi says here. He says, O seeker, do not think that there is no prior origin and cause for the shahada and the testimony that you bear 
for Allah's oneness here on earth and for the worship that you are performing. It's not something new that you're confessing to. Long ago, Allah Most High demanded that you testify to His unity. He had revealed His oneness in the realm of the souls. And after your appearance on earth, your spirit was fettered to the material form. Our spirit became more associated with the materials around us. Made him the object of worship on account of the spiritual perception he had experienced in the realm of the soul. Basically trying to say that the, we still can believe that Allah is our Lord even though the dunya is so much closer to us. Or we feel at least. Because of that experience we've had, we can easily say La ilaha illallah. Children can easily say La ilaha illallah. Thus the tongue proclaims his unity and lordship while the other physical limbs by their obedience imply that Allah Most High is the true being to be worshipped and obeyed. The limbs therefore go into prostration, they do sujood, they do ruku' while the heart and other spiritual faculties have the certainty of Allah's uniqueness. Were it not for that prior revelation in the realm of the souls, then in this physical world, the physical body would not have testified to Allah's oneness and the heart would not have developed certitude. Because there's too much attraction. The similitude for the aforementioned reality is like that of a city that you had seen and then forgotten. When you were young, your dad took you to, your, your parents took you to, you know, maybe it was uh, Bishnat, right, in Silet, right, or... Um, what do you call it to, you know, another village somewhere, you know? And why did I remember Bishnata of all of them? It's in Jagannathpur, or Habigonj, right? Or uh, Gulafgonj. That's the best one. Too. That's the best one, Roseville. <laughs> Gulafgonj is Roseville, yeah. So you think, no, no, you have not been for 20 years, right? On being reminded of this city, you recall it and your heart has certitude of its existence and description. I've been there once. I can't remember to it. I've been there once. However, if you had never seen the city, certitude would not develop regardless of the effort of a person to explain it to you. Well, nowadays you can actually check on YouTube and, you know. Rega uh, certitude is not possible when the form of a thing is not in one's subconscious mind or already embedded in the imagination. You know, you've got this long lost uncle, right, in this country. You met him like when you were very young. Yeah, I remember something like that. In the absence of the spiritual perception of the soul, certitude would not have been possible on the basis of only rational proofs of the truth. Complete certitude is not based on rational proofs. You can never get complete certitude through rational proofs. You get a level of certitude, but never complete. It is like a lost item that is immediately recognized on sight. Similar to this is the perfect certitude of Allah's oneness, the messages of His messengers, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And, uh, and the matters of the hereafter. The Spirit was shown all of these higher realities. We can't remember it, but it's there in our subconscious. If we could remember it, the life would be, there wouldn't be a test. This world, would not, this world is a test, right? That's why we can't remember us saying to Allah that, yes, you are our Lord. If we remember that very clearly, it'd be fine. Now, you know when we die, when we're about to die, the reality will dawn on us. We'll actually remember that. And then we look in our life that did I do exactly according to that? And if we did, that's what you call husnul khatima and a wonderful ending. And if it wasn't, it's like, oh man, I messed up. That was the wrong answer. I've come out of the exam, that was the wrong answer. But it's too late. There's no retakes here. When the spirit was imprisoned in this material body, 
it forgot the realities that were revealed to it on account of the influences of the physical body. The Quran, Hadith, and the Prophets of Allah therefore remind man of this reality. If the grace of Allah Musa is directed to the servant, then the material veils of the physical body are lifted and the spirit then resumes its original perception. The physical body is subservient to the spirit, hence it becomes fully involved in obedience once its veils are lifted. And that is Fadlullah, yu'tihi man yasha. He grants it to whomever he wishes. So we're going to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that now that we know about this and we understand this, Allah make that even further, uh, convic- uh, give us further conviction and give us a greater reality and make it further easy and allow us to prepare and adorn ourselves for the hereafter just like we do for this world. May Allah allow us for the hereafter. If you're looking to buy a house, if you're looking to buy a, a vehicle, Make dua that we also have a vehicle to get across the bridge on the Day of Judgment. You can have a vehicle of this world, but always think at that time, Allah, you've given me this vehicle of this world, give me a vehicle for crossing the bridge over Jahannam. If you're looking for a house to buy, a place to stay, oh Allah, you're giving me this, Alhamdulillah, Subhanallah, you know, Alhamdulillah, Allahu Akbar, oh Allah, grant me a place in Jannah as well, a place close to you. Just constant parallel thinking of the hereafter then your dunya is wonderful and your hereafter is wonderful why 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 not why just focus on the world focus on the world but enjoy the focus you get a new garment oh allah give me a beautiful garden in, garment in paradise as well you know you go for a you go for an outing somewhere oh allah give me the outing every friday in jannah where i'm going to see you Subhan, I mean, it's easy to think about it. All the ni'mah that Allah has given us, just think of the ni'mah of paradise and ask Allah for it. And try to avoid the sins and try to do the good deeds. And that's the deen is easy. Just needs a mindset. May Allah make that mindset easy for us. But believe me, it works. You give sadaqah and you'll see Allah will give you full, you know, Allah, Allah gives you back in multitudes. Right? Allah gives you back in multitudes. And people wonder, they struggle, but they don't give sadaqah. But the promises are all there for sadaqah, for example. May Allah make it easy for us and allow us to, to have the right kind of thought about all of this. وَآخِرُ الدَّعْوَانَ أَنِ الْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ Allahumma anta salamu wa minka salamu tabarak liyadha al-jalali wa likram Allahumma salli wa sallim ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa barik wa sallim Ya ma'adin al-judi wal-karam Ya akram al-akramin Wa ya khayr al-mas'ulin Wa ya khayr al-mu'teen يا الله أكرمنا يا الله اغفر لنا وارحمنا وعافنا وهدنا وارزقنا We ask you for your special forgiveness for your special mercies on this ummah Oh Allah grant us a share of your mercy your forgiveness your generosity Oh Allah Oh Allah grant us your rahmah Oh Allah grant us your rahmah Oh Allah purify us Oh Allah cleanse us Oh Allah make us like the day that we were born purify us like that Oh Allah allow us to be in our purest and in our most righteous state before we die. Oh Allah, make every subsequent month and subsequent week and subsequent year better than the previous one. Oh Allah, you have indulged us in this world. You have given us so much more than so many others. Oh Allah, we have so much to show of this world. You have allowed us to adorn ourselves. You have allowed us to live comfortably, to eat comfortably to go about comfortably and with security. Oh Allah, we, whatever, however much we thank you, it wouldn't be sufficient. But oh Allah, you know our weakness 
And oh Allah, with, with whatever broken du'as that we make to you, Allah, accept it from us. Grant us afiyah and grant us well-being. Grant us cure from the various different ailments that we suffer from, both especially the spiritual ailments. Oh Allah, allow us to prepare for the hereafter, just like we prepare for this world and you have allowed us to prepare for this world. We can only prepare for the hereafter with your assistance. Oh Allah, we can only prepare for the hereafter with your assistance. O oh Allah, grant us your assistance, grant us your enablement. O oh Allah, enable us, facilitate for us, make it easy for us. O oh Allah, accept these little gatherings that we have here. O oh Allah, accept all of those who listen, who come here. O oh Allah, make it, make it an accepted, make these gatherings an accepted ones, a means and a source of closeness to you. O oh Allah, there are many issues in many, many families. There are disputes, there are complications, there are problems, there are other darknesses that have prevailed. Oh Allah, remove those darknesses, bring the hearts together, allow the family units to prosper, family units to uh, be close so that the whole community can be, can be more prosperous, can be more beneficial. Oh Allah, accept, oh Allah, accept from all of us and accept from us to do that which is good and to avoid which is haram and which is wrong. Make that easy for us to make that easy for us to practice, and O oh Allah, allow us to continue to testify that there is no Lord except You, and Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam is Allah's messenger. Allow us to continue to testify that until our last breath and beyond, and allow that kalima la ilaha illallah to always be the guiding light for us and to be in that pan and our scale on the day of judgment and be an assistant and our deeds to be the vehicle over the bridge in the hereafter and our deeds to help us and your grace to help us elevate ourselves in Jannat, to Jannatul Firdaus. Oh Allah bless us and our parents and our entire families and the entire Ummah. Subhana Rabbika Rabbil Izzati Amma Yasifoon wa Salaamun Al Mursaleen wa Alhamdulillah. Jazakallah khair for listening. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you. And if you're finding this useful, you know, um, as they say, do that like button and subscribe button and forward it on to others. Jazakallah khairan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.